Welcome to Parent Talk Podcasts, where experienced parents and expert guests give tips and tricks on making parenting a breeze. Well, at least a little easier. Now here is your host, Genevieve Kyle, and co-host, Heather Fox. Hi everyone, welcome to Parent Talk, broadcasting out of the greater Vancouver area. Parent Talk is a conversation that supports and encourages moms and dads. Our show is a great way to connect and bounce ideas off of other parents going through similar experiences, helping us be the best parents we can be. If you have a question and you would like to join us on a show as a guest or as an expert, please visit us at the contact us section on our website at parenttalk.ca. I'm Genevieve Kyle. I'm the producer and your host of Parent Talk. I am a 41-year-old new mom of a one-year-old little boy named Alexandre, and I am a registered dental hygienist. Today, we are talking about injury prevention. Let's go around the table and introduce ourselves. Hi, everyone. My name is Heather Fox, and I am your co-host of Parent Talk. I am 40 years old and a new mom to baby Hudson, who is one years old. I am a stay-home mom. However, my background is in early childhood education, and I'm a former owner of Jimbery Play and Music. Hi, everyone. My name is Holly Choi. I'm the co-owner of Safe Beginnings First Aid, and I am also a child passenger safety technician. I have a daughter who just turned two, and I am also pregnant with my second. Yay! <laughs> All right, Holly. Why are you so passionate about injury prevention? Well, I find that most parents, when they think about injury prevention, they think about baby proofing. And most parents just boil that down to, did I put locks on my cupboard so that they can't get to the chemicals? Did I put electric outlet covers in? And then they kind of stop there. My big thing about injury prevention is that we really need to not put assumptions on our child's development. It's when we start to think things like, well, they couldn't get in there or they can't roll yet or they can't lift themselves up or reach that place yet that we do have these accidents happen. And most of them are preventable. Tell us a little bit about injury tips. Well, one of the big ones is preventing falls. And one of the leading causes of children under the age of one going to the ER is from falling off of an elevated surface. So the main culprit being falling off of elevated change tables, but also rolling off the bed, rolling off of the couch, because we often leave them unattended there. And the main injury prevention thing for preventing falls is just don't leave them unattended on an elevated surface. To the point that the recommendation has now been changed that we're not changing children on elevated change tables if possible, that we're actually changing them on a change pad on the floor. Um, and while that's not always realistic, depending on the situation, or some people have really bad backs and can't, but we really shouldn't be leaving them unattended. And the main situation where that happens is, you know, you're in the middle of changing your child, you run out of diapers, you run out of wipes, you have to turn around and get them from the closet or from another room. And then we go, oh, geez, you know, okay, well, I've got the strap on them, so I can probably just leave them for a quick second. And then that's the day they roll. And really those straps on the change pads are just designed so you can take one hand off and grab the wipe or grab the diaper that's next to you. And children are really squirmy and they can get out the other way too. So again, if you ever have to leave a child, the recommendation is either to pick them up and take them with you, or if you can move them to the floor or a crib or a playpen 
or a baby seat of some sort, just so that they're in a safe place, but not leaving them on an elevated surface. Holly, is there anything else that we can do to prevent falls? Another really big one is using gates on our stairs. And I know that seems obvious, but a lot of people don't realize when we should be using those gates and what types of gates we should be using. So the general recommendation is if you have stairs in your home, to use gates between the ages of six and 24 months. So that's quite a long time, but we are starting early at six months because that's when children on average start to get really mobile. And we don't wanna have them having those accidents on those stairs in those ages when they're most prone to those accidents. The thing is that there's two types of gates on the market and you have to make the correct decision in terms of what gate we're using where. So the recommendation is if you're at the top of the stairs, you have to use a hardware mounted gate. So those are the gates that we're actually physically attaching to a wall or to a banister. So they're actually screwed in and mounted versus the other type of gate, which is a pressure mounted gate. So those are mounted kind of like, I like to say a shower curtain rod, you know, they're just tension mounted. Um, The problem with using a pressure mounted gate at the top of the stairs is if somebody throws their body weight against it, they can actually fall down the stairs with the gate. So again, not ideal situation there. So in terms of pressure mounted gates, you can use those at the bottom of the stairs. You can use those on rooms in the same level. So if you live in an apartment, pressure mounted gates are just fine if you're all on one level. But anytime you've got stairs at the top, it has to be hardware mounted. And how can we prevent burns? Well, this is a hard one because there are so many ways that children get burns. And it's not just necessarily from the kitchen or from the bathtub. There's all sorts of places in between. But I guess we should start with the kitchen. Um, In terms of recommendations, when we're talking about preventing burns in the kitchen, if you're cooking on a stovetop, you should be turning the pot handles inward. And that's because children are super curious. And if they see a handle hanging off the top of the stovetop, a lot of them will wonder what's on the other end of that. And then they'll reach inside and uh, pull a pot down onto themselves. The other is to use back burners instead of front burners, because it really depends on what kind of stovetop you have. But sometimes the front burners may still be hot when the back burner's on, but they shouldn't be cooking level hot. Um, And then the other main one is please not to wear your children in a carrier of some sort. So a soft structured carrier, for example, like an Ergo Baby carrier or a Tula, not to wear them in those when you're cooking. Because if you're frying something, it's really easy for things to splash up and burn them. But also, um, if you are reached to turn off the oven or things like that, and the knobs are at the back, it's easy to burn a child's foot or hand because we're not aware of those parts of their bodies that aren't physically attached to us and outside of the carrier. Um, The other ones that I like to think about are when we're using appliances in the kitchen. So a lot of us now these days have kitchen islands, and one of the dangers of kitchen islands is that they often have a plug that's below countertop level. And ideally, again, we're putting plug covers in anything that's below counter height. The issue is that if you've got an appliance plugged into that, a lot of us will make an assumption that our child can't pull that appliance down because it's heavy. And 
while of course things like kettles and other things that will contain hot water aren't necessarily heavy, even something like a stand mixer that weighs a ton, really, and would be hard for me to even lift out of the cupboard, if a toddler grabs that by the cord, they can absolutely pull it down off the counter. Not using those outlets below counter height is really the best recommendation. If you're going to plug an appliance in, whether it contains hot liquid or not, we really should be using the ones up in the backsplash area. So what about testing bath water for temperature? That's a great question. One of the best pieces of advice I ever received was to learn to use the own tools on my body. And in the case of bath water, that's dipping our elbow in the bath water. You'd be surprised how sensitive your elbow actually is. So if you dip your elbow into the bath water and it feels hot on your elbow, it's too hot for your baby. And the reason that we're going for elbows as opposed to, let's say, a thermometer is because a lot of us will put too much confidence in a thermometer. The thing is that especially these days when we've got baby registries and we're getting cute thermometers like a whale or a duck or an octopus. I was going to say, do you mean my my octopus (laughs) thermometer might be at one point not so calibrated? That's what basically you're saying, right? Absolutely, because what happens is especially, you know, once your child starts looking at that as potentially a bath toy because it's so cute, If they do bang it around in the tub a whole bunch, they can lose calibration. I actually have a friend whose little whale is permanently stuck on hot, even though it hasn't been in a tub for days. Um, And that's just because, again, they can lose their calibration easily. So if you use your elbow when it works, but also it won't lose its calibration. And the other benefit is you can't leave it at home when you go on vacation. So you really need to know Um, how to use that effectively so get used to it and then if you ever need it it's there for you I love it I I always bring my elbow with me (laughs) (laughs) the other one that's really important that's attached to us is our wrist and that can be used to test if bottles or food temperature is appropriate for our baby so again same thing applies if it's too hot on the wrist then it's too hot for your baby and that leads us to how to prevent drowning right So drowning prevention is actually a lot simpler than it seems on the surface. A lot of people don't realize it really doesn't take very much water to drown. Even less than an inch can be dangerous to children. So really any standing water in the home needs to be removed. And if you can't, for example, with pet dishes, if you have children that are newly mobile, you really want to limit access to that area so that they're not unattended near any standing water. The thing in terms of drowning prevention advice is just that we need to have our children within arm's reach of us anytime they're in the water. So if that's the bath, the pool, lake, ocean, it doesn't matter. They should be within arm's reach of us. And that forces us to supervise them closely. The issue that I find, and this is something that even myself and my husband have struggled with from time to time, is that the second you get two adults together, instinctively we let our guard down. And this is exactly why they have lifeguards at swimming pools because you can have a room full of 100 adults and there's really only one person that's actually paying attention because we all make the assumption that someone responsible is there and someone will see it happen. And that's when we don't. So if you're within arm's reach of your child and they're in the bathtub, then realistically, we're going to minimize the amount of accidents that we're having in the bathtub. 
The problem comes when the phone rings or you need to go quickly grab something and a lot of us are tempted to quickly leave the bathtub. The recommendation is to get somebody to come take over for you if you have to leave for any reason. So whether that means calling your partner in or whatever, but it's important that we have that person within arm's reach of the child before we get up to do whatever we needed to do. You basically have to high five, right? Yeah. If you can't high five, there's <laughs> physical contact. Absolutely. Then, yeah. yeah. The other one, and this one's a little bit sad, but one of the leading causes of toddler drowning right now is from drowning in toilets. And a lot of people don't realize this. And I've always been somebody my entire life, I've been very particular about putting lids down on seats, um, on toilets, because I've always had this weird irrational fear of things falling into the toilet. But now that I'm a parent, I'm afraid of my toddler falling into the toilet. Um, And it is a reality. And unfortunately, we do lose a lot of children each year to that drowning injury. It's because toddlers carry 30% of their body weight into their head. And so the issue is if they're short and they get in, they can't touch the ground, they can't get themselves back out. So we just need to make sure at a minimum, keep those, not just the seat, but the lid down too, so we don't have a big inviting bowl. But um, I also recommend learning to shut your bathroom doors because honestly, we're going to be going in there with them anyway, even if they're using the bathroom, we probably need to wipe their bums. And um, so we want to limit any kind of unsupervised time in the bathroom. So sometimes you can get those little knob or lever covers to keep them out of the bathroom altogether. And if that's not possible, there are also toilet latches where you can latch the lid down so that they can't open it if they do wander in there unattended. It's just hard when you're in the middle of the night and you really have to go, right? <laughs> it's like this lash is right oh there. <laughs> How do we get this off? Why do we... And what about poisoning prevention? Well, this is a really interesting one because when I talk to adults about poisons, I will usually ask them, can you give me a few examples of a poison? And I only ever get four answers. I get alcohol, medication, cleaning products so a lot of people will think about bleach but also detergent pods and things like that but also if they have pets a lot of people will bring up plants the thing is that you really can't make assumptions like that with kids toddlers have really low standards for what they're going to put into their mouth (laughs) basically it boils down to does it fit in my mouth and if the answer is yes it's going in there Um, so there are toddlers that are known to wake up from their nap Um, And if their crib is adjacent to their change table, eat an entire tub of diaper cream. Not necessarily delicious, but they do it. Um, Or tubes of toothpaste, bottles of shampoo, bottles of essential oil. I know I was guilty of eating Flintstone vitamins more than I should have when I was a child. But those are all things that, again, toddlers do, and they don't really care either. (laughs) So the thing is, a lot of people don't know what to do in the cases where we have toddlers ingesting things that we weren't prepared for. And what that boils down to is you just need to phone poison control anytime you aren't sure what's going on. If we suspect that they've poisoned themselves, we need to phone poison control and get the correct information. And I can't stress this enough because when I was a child in the 1980s and before then, parents were always told to go buy something at the pharmacy called syrup of Ipecac. 
And what it did was it induced vomiting. And um, that's one way to remove a poison from someone, sure. But in a lot of cases, it can cause a lot more injury. For example, if a child ingested something really acidic like bleach, it burns all the way down and then it can burn all the way back up. So by phoning poison control, you can get the correct advice. They can tell you in some cases how to neutralize that at the stomach level or if it's a problem at all or if you can treat at home or if you need to go to the emergency room. But it's just so important. Phone poison control. Get the correct advice. Um, And again, we've written a blog on parenttalk.ca and we will make sure that we've got the poison control phone number there as well. So go check that out. Another tip for poisons is, especially with plants, if you do have children that are ingesting plants and you find that becomes a problem for you, is to label the plants in your home with both the common name and the botanical name. And that's so that if you do have to phone poison control, you've got that information ready and you're not looking at a plant saying, well, it's got purple flowers on it and I don't really know what it is. So really we should be aware of what the plants in our home are to start with and make sure that we do label them so that we can use that if we ever need to. The other and one of the main causes of poisoning in children is not dosing their medications properly. One of the reasons is because a lot of us will go to use a spoon instead of the the method that came with the medication, whether that was some kind of syringe or a cup, um, or we use a cup or syringe from a different medication. So the recommendation is please always use whatever method came with the medication and triple check that dose before you give it to them just to make sure you're not giving them too much medication. How can we prevent injury from toys? This one's hard because children will take almost anything in their lives and make it a toy. But when we're talking about toys that are marketed as toys that we as adults see as toys, the main thing is if it says don't give it to a child in a particular age group, please follow that recommendation. So you'll notice a lot of packaging says not for children under three. That's because there's parts that can break off that are choking hazards. The other tool that you can use as a parent and one that's a really good test is what I call the toilet roll test. So that's if you have an empty toilet roll at home, you grab that toilet roll and if any toy fits through that toilet roll, it's too small for a child to play with unsupervised under the age of three. And that might seem pretty extreme, but I can give you an example. Um, My daughter Sadie has one of those little shape sorting sets, you know, with a star and triangle and cylinder and that kind of stuff. The cylinder fits right through a toilet roll. However, that toy says it's appropriate for age six months and up. The reason it says it's appropriate for age six months and up is because it's definitely bigger than her airway, so she can't physically choke on it. But if I leave her unsupervised to play with it and it fits through a toilet roll, it means she can fit the whole thing in her mouth. And therefore, if she were to run around my house with that cylinder in her mouth and trip and fall, she could do all sorts of injury to her mouth and her palate. And so again, if you are going to leave them for a few minutes to play unsupervised, you know, in a little safe spot, it's important that the toys you leave them with don't fit through a toilet roll. 
even if they're age appropriate, save that stuff for when you can supervise them. That reminds me, when I was younger, I actually was playing with my neighbor and I was the fish and he was the fisherman, right? <laughs> so we took a stick and I basically bit on the stick. And I'm, I'm talking, I was like six plus for sure, six, seven, eight years old. And he basically like pushed the stick towards me and it went through part of my soft palate in my mouth. Oh. I could not swallow saliva for many weeks. Oh. It was a complete disaster. I was bleeding like crazy. I couldn't talk. So it, it, I remember, I remember that accident actually. And when you weeks walking around with your paper towels, like spitting out your saliva because it hurts too much to swallow. Uh, Why well, I'm sharing this, it's because I think it's not only on little ones. Like we have all kinds of ideas when we get older. So don't let your kids play the fish and the fisherman like I did. <laughs> it's not a good idea. That's a great point. That's a horrible story, but I'm going to remember it for the rest of my life. <laughs> um, the other ones that are really, really dangerous are toys that contain batteries. So you'll notice that any toy that contains a battery typically will also have a cover that's screwed in. And it's really important that we always make sure the batteries are screwed in shut to the toy. Batteries are a very, very horrible thing for children to swallow. And in a lot of cases, it can be a fatal injury if they do swallow a battery. So it's important to make sure that we do have those well secured, but not just toys, especially things that they might think is a toy. The main culprit being things like remotes for the television. So also keep an eye out for those because those battery covers come off really easily and if you can just put something like duct tape over them, I know it's not glamorous, but it works. And again, try to limit access to those if possible so that if the batteries do fall out, if it gets dropped or otherwise, um, that we're, again, not having that accident happen. And the other one is magnets. So again, magnets, especially strong magnets, with, if swallowed, can be really dangerous. So making sure not just to keep them away as a choking hazard, but if you do have small magnets in the house, again, keep those out of reach of children whenever possible. Heather, have you done anything special to uh, prevent injury in your home? Yeah, definitely. I'm working with children for almost my whole life. Um, basically childproofing and baby proofing and all and just kind of being aware of that type of thing um, has been very important because it was also important at my work as well. Um, one tip um, I used to always recommend to parents um, at Jamboree is that to get down at their children's level. Um, it's a whole new world when we crawl around our house. Things like under the dining room table where there's extra leaves. Sometimes there's cords and things hanging down and we don't even realize it's there because we've never crawled under our dining room table before. But babies love to. And I know Hudson loves to be under the dining room table right now. He's constantly going under there and the chairs become walkers and he pushes them wherever he wants. But things like that are definitely something to be aware of. So crawling around your house and kind of really getting down to their level to see what they see. I actually had a situation where I was teaching a CPR course for a family and I mentioned crawling around on their hands and knees to check under the couch for any choking hazards. And when I did that, we found a grape under the couch, which is actually one of the two most commonly choked on foods. 
for small children. So it's amazing because sometimes, you know, we don't even realize when we're snacking and things like that, that stuff can fall under the couch and that can also be the size of their airway. Exactly. And change like from my husband's pocket. I'm like, babe, he was lying on the floor and playing with Hudson and he got up and he had no idea. I'm like, he left like two quarters and a few dimes. And I was like, babe, like you have to be aware of this kind of thing. Now that's choking hazards that you just left behind and the carpet's kind of gray and that was silver and it was like blended in. I was like, oh, yes. So being aware of like getting right down and what's in our pockets. Um, another thing that um, I'm following myself and I used to, of course, recommend and teach other parents um, for their children is with when you have stairs in your house, um, to very important to teach your children to go down feet first on their tummies because as Holly had mentioned they carry most of their weight in the top of their bodies and if they're some parents think oh they'll just sit on the stairs and kind of bum scoot down but if they lean forward they can topple over head first and that can be very dangerous so very important to be training your child to from the top of the stairs to be on their tummy and to be going down backwards and part of training them to do that is to make sure that everybody in the household is telling your child the same message so decide between you and your husband and grandma and auntie and everybody if you're going to all say let's go down feet first or maybe you're all going to say let's go on our tummy or let's go down backwards but if you all choose something different you all have a different message to tell them. They get really confused. So you want to kind of choose that one same message and keep that consistent and then make it fun. And add a wee, we're going on our tummy down. Here we go, tummy down, on your tummy. Like just keep that consistent message going. And um, that's really important to keep that kind of safety aspect for them going down the stairs. And another one um, that I've recently read about and I honestly didn't think about it until just the other day when Hudson went to grab it. And that is our phone chargers. We have our phone charger cords kind of sitting very handily because we want to charge our phones, you know, while we're sitting watching TV and things like that. And he went to grab it. And I saw right away in my mind, I was like, oh, that's not good for him. But I actually saw an article where a little girl got burned because it's plugged into the wall and oh, I guess no. she put it in her mouth and she had like a huge burn on her lip and so the story went viral and I was just like oh my gosh I sent it right away to my husband I'm like babe we have got to get these chargers out of the way like Hudson almost put one in his mouth today like so I just realized how important that was to get things like that up and out of his way completely. In my own house one of the main thing we have done we have those beautiful corner little tables with those beautiful big vases on tops this is all gone <laughs> this that was like pre-baby decorations it's we had to remove so much of our uh unsafe things that was basically parked in the corner looking good it's we have to we removed almost everything and then uh i'm really concerned with glass i find that if you have those beautiful cabinets with all your your glasses in it and my we have one like this and my baby loves to bang on that window that glass and we're gonna have to do something about this because that's the new little thing that he wants to do and I'm aware that this is not children design it can just break and injure your child like pretty badly so Holly can you tell us um, about uh, the new safe sleep guidelines just recently the government along with perinatal services BC 
came out with a bunch of new safe sleep guidelines and they actually changed quite a bit and in quite a good progressive direction. So before we were always thinking of stuff like putting them on their back to sleep, putting them on a firm mattress, and they were really, really firm about not co-sleeping or also known as bed sharing. And now they've actually introduced safe bed sharing guidelines, which is awesome. And it absolutely can be a safe way for parents to sleep with their children, but again, we have to follow certain guidelines to make sure that we're not having those SIDS, so again, sudden infant death syndrome injuries happening. Um, one of the statistics was that I believe it was 59% of the deaths related to SIDS was from bed sharing. But the reason that that was occurring was because people weren't aware of how to do that safely. So they've come out with a bunch of new guidelines to talk about how to do that safely, um, including, you know, making sure that if you're smoking, then it's really not safe to be bed sharing. Um, not going to bed intoxicated or under the influence of drugs is a really big one because you can roll onto your child really easily. So they've come out with all of these new guidelines, and I really strongly recommend having a quick read through them. Um, so again, we've added that to the blog on parenttalk.ca, so please go check that out. It's a very well-written PDF. It goes through not just the traditional, what we've been told in terms of if they're sleeping in their own space, putting them on their back again or on a firm mattress, but also the bed sharing guidelines, as well as what to do if you have multiple babies but only one sleeping surface, and what to do if you don't have a crib and where you can safely sleep them, which again can be places um, like in a box um, or in a bassinet. So there's all sorts of great recommendations out there, and I do find it's quite progressive, which is really awesome to see that they're embracing other ways that cultures around the world have been doing this because quite frankly we're in such a multicultural society now that we can't expect everyone is going to know these things and if they are going to be following their own culture's practices we just want to make sure that they're doing it in a safe way and what about those warranty cards should we fill those cards absolutely and i find that it's really overwhelming especially for first-time parents We get so much baby stuff all at once. They all come with warranty cards and manuals and suddenly we have a pile of all this stuff and we just kind of either throw it away or shove it in a drawer somewhere. Please, if something comes with a warranty card, you really should be filling it out. And most of them will let you do it online so you can make a quick 10 minutes of it, stack them all together and go through them all. The thing is that recalls on all children's products are super common and anytime they find a defect and a recall, if there's a way that it can be rectified, then the manufacturer will usually typically send that piece right directly to you if you're registered with them. If you're not, then you don't have a way to get notified and you aren't a priority to the manufacturer to get you that piece. So if you wait a little bit too long, sometimes it's harder for you to get that piece to fix your item. Um, and there are also recalls, again, where a product just isn't safe at all and they take it completely off the market. So it's best that you're registered so you can get notified of all of that information as it happens. Mm. And my last question is, we want to know how to safely buy used baby equipment. 
Well, see, this is hard because even when you're not buying it, sometimes you can receive unsafe baby equipment. Anytime you're getting used baby equipment, whether you purchase it or whether you receive it from a friend, you really should quickly check for recalls. Um, And again, this will be on the blog on Parent Talk, but there is a great website run by the government. It's healthycanadians.gc.ca, and they have a recall database where we can run through all of our baby products and check to see by brand if there's any recalls. It's so important because a lot of products are recalled. For example, those bumbo seats. I don't know if you know those little bumbo seats. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, the original ones didn't have a little safety strap in them and lots of children were being injured by falling out of them. Um, and so they added a safety strap. So those seats were recalled and now there's just ones with straps on the market. Um, I actually received from, um, from someone, I received a used play tent. So those tents that you would take to put your baby in on the beach, you know, for example, with UV shade. Um, And those were actually recalled, the particular one that I had, and I didn't realize it because I received it and I just assumed, well, it's secondhand and they were using it, so it must be fine. Um, But again, if you're not registered, you don't always find out if those recalls have happened. So you always need to double check anytime you're bringing something secondhand into your home, was there a recall on it? Whether it was because of a choking reason or in some cases, like my baby tent, it was a SIDS-related reason. So it's really important to double check. The other one I bring up, and I talk about this with car seats all the time too, is that sometimes um, it's also how we treat the item. So in the case of used car seats, when we're talking about the fabrics, a lot of people will wash their car seat fabric before they sell it so that their car seat, you know, looks presentable and doesn't have baby spit up on it. But you have to follow the manufacturer's guidelines when you're doing that so that you're not washing out the flame retardant chemicals that keep children safe in really horrible collisions. So it's, it's another thing where trust the person that you're getting it from, but also check for recalls um, to make sure that you have all the parts, all the instructions, everything you need so that it is safe to use for your child. Well, thank you, ladies. I think, Heather, it's time for a conversation card. Can you please pick one and read that to us? All right, ladies. So what one thing would you like to know about the future? Oh, I would love to see my son in 10, 15, 20 years, you know, like guide him a little bit better in this uh, beautiful world of life, you know? <laughs> I would like to know at what age I'm going to retire <laughs> so that I can look forward to it. I love it. <laughs> I guess for us right now, um, because we're in a bit of, a, my husband's working a lot of hours and I wish I could see into the future what would be the best move for him to make. Oh, Whether it's to too, kind yeah. of stay with the company he's with or maybe to move on so mm-hmm. which is hard to know without that hindsight <laughs> all right well thank you holly and thank, thank you, you for having me for being here thank you uh thank you for contributing into other parents life for our listeners the conversation continues on our website at parenttalk.ca you can find us on instagram facebook apple podcast google play and podbean And you can subscribe to this podcast on our website at parenttalk.ca so you don't miss an episode of Parent Talk. Don't forget to review us. 
Remember, there's nothing more powerful than feeling supported by a community of parents and sharing your thoughts, ideas, and experiences. Parent Talk is a safe space for everyone. Thank you for listening and have a great week. The views and or opinions of the host and their guests are not necessarily those of Parent Talk and should not be considered as fact. The information offered is believed to be accurate but is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice and should not be used for diagnosing or treating any health issue or prescribing medication. If you have any questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your child, please seek assistance from a qualified healthcare practitioner.